And I think too, like what these last few years have really showed me is even if like the race day doesn't go the way you wanted, if the training cycle overall has gone like according, you know, mostly according to plan, no training cycle is perfect. They all stack up and build on each other. And if you're like being consistent and training and like a thought out way that is like going to get you to those goals. If you're an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. Runner Click presents the passionate runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. Hey runners, and welcome to episode six of Runner Clicks, the Passionate Runner Podcast. I am your host, Whitney Hines, a lifelong runner, certified running coach, and founder of the motherrunners.com, a resource for moms who run. Today's interview is with Anne Mauer of the Instagram handle Margs and Marathons. Anne is a wife and a working mom who is passionate about running and triathlons. She discovered running later in life and is now setting some pretty huge PRs and going after some really big goals. She is taking her pro license in triathlons and considering going after the new marathon Olympic trials qualifying standard, which is a 237. Anne and I talk about how she's been able to have some major breakthroughs in a short amount of time, how she balances her training with being a mom, wife, and a professional, how she's setting some big yet appropriate goals, and her tips for staying mentally and physically healthy. I'm really excited for you to hear our conversation after this short message from Runner Click Pro. If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated, and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you are in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, Whitney Hines. And thank you so much for coming on the show with me. Thank you for having me, Whitney. I'm happy to be here and to chat with you. Finally, not over Instagram chat, but... um... I know. I feel like we've been Instagram friends for a while, actually. You were one of my first Instagram friends. Yes, I know. I feel like I've been following your journey since like way before COVID, before like the Olympic marathon trials. So yeah, it's been a while. So I'm glad. It's been a long time. Yeah. So it's 6.30 a.m. where you are and you've already done your workout and everything, right? You've already basically had a day before anybody in your house is awake. Yeah. When we had this, your time slot on the calendar, I was like, oh, that's perfect. I can work out. I can talk to Whitney all before my kids wake up. So it will be great. And <laughs> and I love that we like message each other and we're like, okay, this is not, the video is not going to be on, it's not going to be published because like chances are both of us are going to have sweaty hair and we don't want to have to care. <laughs> yes. No, I was like, I don't want to have to get up earlier to like blow dry my hair. And then I'd have to get up like at four. That's way too early. So <laughs> I had a little panic for a second. And then when you're like, no video, I was like, phew, okay, we're good. <laughs> we're good to go. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I had time to take a shower, but my hair is wet. So, you know, but I'm also three hours behind you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, great. So I can't wait to dive into your running history and just how you balance everything. Like I've been watching you from afar in marveling with all that you've accomplished and how you managed to stay so humble and so balanced. And it's just like when I think of people who are just incredibly inspirational because they have like this running talent lying within them and they didn't realize it. I think of you because I know that you weren't, you didn't grow up as a runner. And now in like the past couple of years, you've just had these remarkable breakthroughs. So to start, I would love for you to share with our listeners, just kind of like where you were just a couple of years ago as a non-runner and what sparked you to, to get on this journey of running. 
Yeah, honestly, it was purely vanity in the beginning. I had gotten overweight and I was, I got engaged to my husband. And so it was like that wanting to get in shape for the wedding. And I just needed a goal. So I thought, why not sign up for a half marathon? Because I, that is something I always want to be prepared for everything. That's my personality. So I was like, I know if I sign up for a race, I will put in the work to get ready for it. And, but I had, I was a swimmer growing up. I did not enjoy running because I never ran. Like that's not something we did as part of our swim training. I wasn't good at it. And when I first started, I could not run a mile like straight. I had to take walk breaks. And uh, my sister-in-law or TV sister-in-law, thankfully, she was a runner and she was like super patient with me and helped me build up for that first half marathon. And she did the run walks with me and she told me how much to run because that was 20 or 2009. And so there was no like, I mean, I'm sure there was, but they're not readily available online training plans. We would use like map my run, like online to map out our routes and write down the directions. Like it was a different world back then. It was very different. (laughs) Yeah. And um, so I'm really thankful to her that she like helped me. Um, But when I ran that first race, I had ran like one 5k before that and like our local like, you know, trot as a kid, but those were my only running race experiences. So to go to like a real big race and feel like the crowds and the volunteers and the people yelling for you and encouraging you. Um, I just like fell in love with that atmosphere. And I got done with the my first half. And I of course was like, I want to run a marathon. <laughs> that was my <laughs> I was hooked. So um, yeah, and ever since I've been running, but um, it was pretty like just for fun. And recreational. I would do halves. Um, I did do one marathon in um, 2012, but then we had our kids and that was like, you know, babies and toddler was my life focus. And, um, And after I had my second baby, about a year and a half postpartum, so I did not rush back. But then I said, okay, I want to do another marathon and qualify for Boston. And that was in 2018. And since then, I've just, I like finally started doing workouts and like, I guess, truly run training and kind of really finding my potential in running. And um, yeah, it's been a fun couple of years just seeing how far I can go and continue to improve and, and I'm not done, but I'm enjoying it. And yeah, it's been just fun and surprising even to me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, seriously. Okay. So in 2018, what was your marathon time? So my first marathon, I did Boston qualify back in 2012 and I didn't know what Boston even was then. And I think I ran like a 328, um, my first marathon and 330 was the qualifying time. And then um, in 2018, I ran a 324. And that training block, I did have an injury I had to work through um, because I ramped myself up too fast. And coming back postpartum, I just made that classic mistake of upping mileage and intensity at the same time. And um, four weeks out from trade or four weeks out from the race, I got a knee injury and decided to take like a whole week off and then kind of oh, try to like do a little week. build. <laughs> yes. So it was not ideal, but I still got that BQ and that was probably my most painful marathon though because yeah I was not prepared yeah but 
Yeah. And then, um, but then I came back in March of uh, 2020. And that was the first time I broke three hours in the marathon. So um, in that like 15 months, I was able to just through like consistent training. And I finally started working with a coach, um, like really get that time down. And that was really fun and exciting um, time for me just to kind of work on something for me and kind of see this potential that I had that I never realized was there. Yeah, it always makes me wonder like how many people have this potential lying within, but they don't give running a chance because like those first few weeks are rough until it takes a while for your body to adapt and for you to start like seeing the changes and for it to not be so miserable and to learn not to go out too fast and all that. So your PR, it was a 253 in 2020. Is that what you ran? Yeah, later on in 2020, um, so in March of 2020, I ran the LA Marathon. I ran a 258, broke three hours, and then COVID happened literally days later. The world shut down, and I kept training through all the COVID stuff. It was kind of my sanity. I would just make up challenges for myself to get through the weeks basically of life. And, and then in October of 2020, it was pretty neat. This timing company that does a lot of like the timing for our local races in my area, they put on like a mini Boston marathon for all the runners in our area that didn't get to go to Boston. Like we had been planning And so they mapped out a marathon route for us and actually gave us like timing chips so that it was like, it wasn't official, but we could know our time was, our route was official, like accurate and our times were going to be accurate. And so in that event, if you would call it, I ran a 253 time. And so were you running mostly by yourself with that race? I mean, I can't imagine there were too many people. No, actually, that was the one and only time I ever had a pacer. Um, A guy named Benny, he offered to pace me um, to go sub three again. And he's really, really fast. And um, so then we were just kind of talking as the day was progressing. And he was like, okay, is this, you know, can we shoot for 255? And I was like, okay, yeah, like, let's do it. And and then after about halfway, I was feeling good. So he's like, all right, let's try to go a little faster. And so we just pushed the pace a little bit more. And then the last like two miles, he was like, okay, you're good. And he just like took off and I'm very competitive. (laughs) And I was like, hey, like, you're not going to leave me at this point. So then I took off. And so he beat me. I mean, he definitely had more in him than I did, but it did like my fastest mile was the last mile. (laughs) So of that. That's insane. So you negative split that race. Yes, we did. It was, um, yeah, really like it made me realize I had never ran with a pacer or even in a pace group. And, you know, everyone talks about like how great it is and how much it can help you. And I was like, can it, like I trained so much alone. I'm like, I know, like my Garmin tells me my splits, I just need to hold that pace. But there is something about some having a human being right next to you that if they start to pull away, you're like, I have to stay with them. I cannot. Um, It's just a different feeling. And it was so helpful. I felt great the whole day. I felt great afterwards. I felt like I got done. I was like, I could have ran faster. I, so yeah, I was going to ask that. So it's, yeah, it sounded like you had stuff left in the tank. Yes. So I definitely recommend if you can have someone pace you, especially someone who's like quite a bit faster than you take them up on it. Cause I think it's incredibly helpful. At least it was for me. Okay. That is a wonderful tip. Yeah. So, okay. So there's one quality of your 
or one contributing factor to your breakthrough. I want to ask what else I, I would imagine having a running coach. Cause when you're talking about, you know, a couple, a decade or more ago, we were just looking up like Jeff Galloway and Hal Higdon plans that are not tailored to background and experience and strengths and weaknesses. So in addition to having a coach, what else would you say has contributed to your great success over the past couple of years? I think believing in myself and this will sound silly too, but and social media gets a lot of negativity. But for me, finding like the running community on Instagram um, actually was like really inspiring to me and seeing like, so many other moms, um, like you like going after an OTQ qualifying uh, time and um all these other women who like had jobs and were also moms or like Stephanie Flippin, who's a doctor and is winning ultra marathon races. Like it kind of just made me realize like, maybe I'm limiting myself. Like a lot of times I would just think like, Oh, I can't do that. Like I can't find time in the day to you know, train. And it just made me rethink it. Like if they're making it work, maybe I can make it work too. And also just kind of realizing like, they're probably just going to their family and saying like, Hey, I want to go after this. Will you support me? And I had a hard time. I always have a hard time asking for things. And so just, yes, same. You know, like, yeah. And so when I would, you know, go to my husband and say, like, hey, I want to try to do this, um, especially because, I mean, he made that career change for us to be able to have a better balance in our life. Um, like, I mean, it wasn't all the time, like, yes, you can do that. Um, or like, oh, well, let's see how this would work. But like, he was always open to the conversation, like, what would that look like? Or how much time do you think that would take? Or I mean, he was never like, no, like, or like, he was always supportive. <laughs> um, so like, a prime example was like, I've always wanted to do a triathlon. And um so like the runnings, like when I wanted to pursue doing a BQ, he was, you know, completely on board. He was like, yeah, do it. Um, but it was quite a few years with triathlon before he was like, I mean, we would talk about it. He's like, okay, what would you need? I'm like, like a bike, probably a trainer. He's like, yeah, that's, that sounds like a lot. Let's like wait. But you know, down the road, like we'll figure it out. Just probably now isn't the right time. And um he ended up signing me up for my first triathlon because he was like, all right, go for oh, it. Cool. Like, yeah. Um, he was like, I think like we, we have the like bandwidth. I'll figure out your bike thing. Like do it. I know you want to. So it's, I think just, yeah, it just believing I can do things, asking for help, I guess sometimes being patient for the right time to pursue the goal I would say those three things probably are, yeah, were instrumental in um, my breakthroughs over the last few years. I think it was in 2020, I listened to you on a podcast. I want to say it was the Rambling Runner podcast, maybe, where you were talking about how you struggled with not believing in yourself as when you were a girl, as a competitive swimmer. How have you been able to make that change? Gosh, it's been, I mean, I'm still something I'm working on, but I, yeah, and I was a swimmer growing up, I would do great in practices. And then I would go to um, swim meets and just underperform all constantly. And because I would get to the blocks, and I would that's like where you start in swimming. And I would just think like, Oh, she's faster than me. She's better than me. I would like, just talk so negatively about myself. And then the minute the race wasn't going well, I would just like, basically give up. I just didn't have like that. Yeah, just like no self belief, no competitive fire. And I was so worried about like letting other people down that I would be 
just told just a mental head case like before the event and, <laughs> um, and I think it, I just realized like this I mean even back then I was thinking more like college scholarship like there was a little more on the line but so I think now one thing was like especially initially it was just for fun like there was no pressure on running and even as I've you know on purpose put pressure on myself of like oh I want to reach this time goal um a few times I felt really nervous. And then like, I, for example, like one of the first things I guess like I put out there on Instagram was wanting to break 40 minutes in the 10 K. And then the race was like mismarked and it ended up being like, not really a road 10 K, but like half trail, half road. And so I did not break 40 minutes. It was like a disaster. And guess what? Like nothing happened. My family still loved me. Like my husband, and I still had a great time. Um, like, okay, I didn't meet my goal. Oh, well, like life went on. Like, so it kind of just taught me like, you know, it's still just for fun. I had a great time training for it. I improved while I trained for it. Yeah, the race didn't go exactly how I wanted it to, but I still got a lot out of the experience. And now I try to do a little more recon about the races I sign up for. So <laughs> I learned a lot. <laughs> and, um, Haven't so- we all made that mistake? I mean, I feel my husband and I, we showed up to the Bar Harbor Marathon, the Mountain Desert Island Marathon, like so determined to break three hours, I think. And we were nowhere close to breaking three hours. And we had no idea that it was like one of the most challenging courses ever. We did. We didn't ever think to look at the course map. It's so funny. Those rookie runner mistakes you make. Oh, I've, yeah, I've done it so many times where people will talk me into races and then I'll get some goal in my head. And then later on, like actually look at the race course. I'm like, there's no way I can do that. Like on this race course. And, but yeah. And those goals are so, can be so arbitrary too. I mean, we just pull, we just really pull them out of thin air. Yes. And, and it's not like, you know, really anyone is that much better of a runner if you run a 301 marathon or a 258 and like depending on the course the 301 may be more impressive than the 258 but we're so stuck on these like whole numbers and that's so true so I love that you were able to take a step back and and learn so many lessons from that 10k half trail half road mostly mismarked. Yes. So <laughs> I I mean, you're right. Like those numbers, it doesn't change anything. People don't love you less. People don't respect you less. I think that's that's such a great lesson for runners to to pull from that experience because we just we hinge so much on these numbers that really just don't matter that much. It is all about the process and the enjoyment of just like taking flight. Yes. And I think too, like what these last few years have really showed me is even if like the race day doesn't go the way you wanted, if the training cycle overall has gone like according, you know, mostly according to plan, no training cycle is perfect they all stack up and build on each other. And if you're like being consistent and training and like a thought out way, that is like going to get you to those goals that you want. There is going to be that race day that it comes together and you're going to get that good result. And so don't let one bad race or a race that didn't go perfect, you know, defeat you, like keep going because that fitness that you gained is still there. Exactly. You get to carry it on with you. And that's, yeah, that is something I always tell my athletes that you're fitter 
than you were before you started. And it, it definitely has a cumulative effect. Exactly. So that you and I have talked a lot about setting goals and setting intangible goals and process goals and intangible goals are, they're kind of a new thing. And research is showing that being vague instead of following the smart goal setting method where they're specific leads you more on a path to success. And by intangible, we're talking about like staying healthy, having longevity in the sport, loving the process. How have you been able to kind of make that shift towards being just more general and how you go about um, being competitive in the sport? Well, I think like, like two things that helped me with it was like, well, 2020, no races. So I had to come up with more intangible goals. And um, I also knew like running was one thing that was bringing me a lot of joy every day. So I didn't want to not be able to do it. So being able to stay healthy enough to run was like became my top priority. I like remember I even had a run streak going kind of accidentally for 75 days and I felt like one little niggle and I purposely ended it and like took a rest day because I was like I can't lose running over a run streak like that would that's not worth it to me um so I wasn't gonna let like some like 100 day run streak goal take away running from like my life because it was what it was my favorite part of the day. And, um, and so I keeping that like top priority of health being like the big intangible goal. And yeah, I would set like little goals that were maybe more tangible, like, you know, run a hundred days in a row. But then as soon as that was jeopardizing my big intangible goal, it got cut. And so that is kind of how I have used it. And, and then like a big kind of mindset shift came for me when I started doing triathlon, because like times don't matter in triathlon because the courses vary so much and like bike times can vary wildly even on the same course of like the wind is different one year from the next and so I cut from it coming from like a runner mindset at the beginning I was like looking up times and trying to figure out like what's a good time for the bike or what and like there's not really a good answer because it depends well what course are you on or what year was it or um and so it kind of just became like okay try to improve every single day and the only like so you know like on your trainer in your garage okay I'm trying to improve on that because that's consistent or like on my little route that I do around my house okay I'll try to improve on that because that's pretty consistent but so you're just trying to improve day after day and stay healthy and by doing that all year I was able to hit times on the bike that I never thought I would be capable of like in a year and so I don't think I would have even like set the goal like the tangible goal for myself that time that I was able to reach so I think I would have been limiting myself, like setting some super tangible time goal. And by just trying to improve day after day, I got further. Yeah. Can you give us a quick little resume of your triathlon debut? Because I know it's really impressive as well. Yeah. The the short version is I started training for triathlons in February of 2021. I had not rode a bike since like high school. And my bike riding experience was like mountain biking around my house, like at home. It's not like I was a cyclist by any means. And I was first rides, like falling all the time, super slow. Um, But I had a really good mentor Raymond Britt who like forced me to he's like keep going outside like you have to ride outside 
So I kept practicing. And in my first race, I did decent. I had like a three hour bike split. So it was a like pretty good, better than I thought I would do. And then like, so it's hard, like I said, it's hard to compare that was a hilly course, but my last race of the year, I had a two hour and 36 minute or two hour and 35 minute bike split. It was on a faster course, but still did take off 25 minutes in a year was not something I thought I would be able to do or even to get like down to the and I did win in that race I was the first female age grouper in that race and so and like 15th overall so I beat like a few of the pros maybe 16th overall but yeah so that was um yeah I never thought I would have won you know, I, and that was in like an Ironman event within my first year, like towards the end of the year, I thought maybe it was possible. And that definitely was like something I was aiming for on the day. But when I started back in February, there was, you know, no way I thought that's where I would be by the end of the year. I love that you just sprinkle in there. Oh, I, and I beat some of the pros about that. (laughs) And that was, yeah. So one of my goals for 2022 is I, I want to earn my pro card in triathlon and try to at least race as a pro once by the end of 2022. So that's, that. what does that mean? That's new to me. How do you earn a pro card? So there's like, it's pretty convoluted. So I won't go into it on a running podcast, but there's, um, (laughs) there's different ways, like different races um, that you compete in and depending how you place um, that will earn you like the ability to apply for your pro license. And, Oh, okay. And so then once you like accept that you um, can then race with the pros. And once you start racing with the pros, you can't like go back to racing as a amateur. So, Oh yeah. In triathlon. So interesting. What a, what a different world. For like, yeah, so while you have the license, you and I think then like you have to wait a year before you can compete as an amateur again. So like there's rules around that. So um, through our conversation, and I've always wondered this, like, how do you balance because I mean, going after these goals, no doubt requires a lot of time and energy. How are you able to maintain balance? Because I know you have two kids, you're a wife, you work. How do you do it? Do you have more hours in the day? Is that what it is? <laughs> I probably don't sleep enough. I do think I would perform even better if I slept more. So that's something I'm working on. Um, I get up very early every day, like 4.30 Um I always get like my biggest workout of the day and before my family's awake. So it would basically be impossible without doing that for me. And so that is like definitely a big difference between like now comparing myself to like pro triathletes. Like that's a huge difference between my life and theirs. Um, and I do work part-time, so, like, it would be impossible, I think, especially with triathlon training, if I was working full-time, because a lot of days now I'm doing two workouts a day, so that would be really tough um, to get in and still spend time with my kids. And But I just really, every day... Um, like prioritize what I need to do in the day. And when I'm like tempted to get distracted, I go back to like, okay, is this helping me get my priority list done? And I actually had a boss that made us do that. Then before we left work at the end of the day, one of my very first jobs, he made us make a list of our five most important things to do the next day. 
And I don't always like write it down, but I always have like a mental checklist of like my five most important things to do. And that has, that's something like very, like something anyone can do that helps me a lot. And like a lot of times on there, it's like, okay, make sure like my kids, you know, get what they need for the day, my training in, and then like, you know, some other checklist items. Then I always just try to also like, keep my life priorities in order like what's most important to me like loving my family taking care of my kids you know work then training and then the things other things I enjoy doing but I just try to constantly like remind myself like is this helping me get to those things and I'm not perfect I get sucked into staying on Instagram too long or you know stay doing a few more laps at the pool and then running late to get my kids to school like I have those days but I try to try to just like think of that list in my head and is what I'm doing helping me towards those goals and that's just something I've work towards. And then I have tons of little, probably like way too many time saving hacks that I do. Like I, I'm probably a little neurotic, (laughs) um, but I think a lot of us moms have to do that. Okay. Can you give a couple examples? Cause now I'm, I'm really curious because we can all use more time. (laughs) Like I almost never only like not showering. Is that one of them? (laughs) Oh no. Like I won't rinse out like my coffee pot machine and stuff without getting it ready for the next day at the same time. Oh, I do the same thing. Yeah, because I'm like, you're already there doing it. So just finish the job. And or like, I almost always make like two meals, like when I'm making myself lunch, I just make two lunches or same with like dinners most of the time. Um, And then like my breakfast, I like make six days worth of oatmeal and just have it like ready to go in the fridge. And so it takes like a lot of planning to keep everything. Do you pack the lunches ahead of time too? I will pack several days of my kids' lunches ahead of time, which I don't know how that affects the freshness, but it saves me like 15 minutes for each day by just batching the work. <laughs> yeah, mine file complaints sometimes. And so I always say, well, then you can make your own lunch. <laughs> so go ahead. If you want to start making your own lunch. <laughs> that is a great response. Yeah. That's the, yes. Yes. When they tell me that the sandwich is mushy or. They've never taken me up on it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the You made your point. You rushed your case. Okay, so I can't talk to you and not talk about the Olympic trials qualifying standard. And for those listening, when Anne was talking about the OTQ, that's what she was referring to. It was 245, and they announced the new standard for 2024, and it dropped to 237, potentially cutting the field of those who can qualify from 500 to 100. And eight minutes is a huge chunk of time to cut. So I'm curious to know what your reaction was. I was, yeah, I'm glad I can geek out on this with someone like in in person, (laughs) but my husband's tired of hearing me talk about it. (laughs) So yeah, like having granted 253 and like feeling like, oh, I have more in the tank at 245 felt like, okay, like if I like my plan, if they had kept it closer to 245 was I was thinking, okay, in like 2013, I'm going to take time off triathlon, focus on the marathon and like go for the OTQ time. Um, But now like a 237 feels way more like, okay, that is pretty like that's a lot of time especially at that pace I'm gonna have to really think about if like I still like that belief like I still believe I could do it but it would it be worth 
what I would have to do to get there. And that's what I'm going to have to consider. That's exactly how I feel. Yeah. What, like, what was your initial reaction? I know you shared a little bit about it on Instagram, but. Yeah. When I went for my one shot to try to get to 245 and ended up having to run with a torn hamstring and got a 256 instead, you know, my mileage was close to a hundred and it was a it was a lot of sacrifices i feel like for my family and so maybe i am able to run that i'm not sure but i feel like it would take it would take a lot of my time and my effort and my energy away from my other more important priorities so i felt defeated at first but now you know i'm thinking never say never maybe it's possible but i'm going to have to set boundaries in how much time and energy it takes. I don't think running triple digit mileage is good for me and our lifestyle. So it's going to have to, if it's going to happen, it's going to have to be closer to like probably 70 miles a week or something like that. So basically like seeing what I can do in the time that I have, you know? Yeah. I'm And you've shared before, which I don't think is talked enough about, like when you're running so much, and especially when you've dealt with injuries, which I know we both have, then you start like going to PTs and chiropractors and doctor's appointments. And that is a lot of time and money to like ask your family to sacrifice. And that is actually when I start feeling the most guilty about like having these hobbies, because then it starts feeling like, oh, this is like taking away from everyone. And I feel like, at least for me, like running that fast would probably require like almost like maintenance, like being in like a PT's, like having a weekly PT appointment just to make sure I'm kept together and like preventative. And I don't know, like that would be a lot to ask my family to do. I know. Yeah, that's so true. Yes. And it, it, I mean, in that point, it's not a hobby. It becomes like right. a part-time job, but in which you're not making any money. You're spending yes. a lot of money to stay healthy. So yes, it's definitely a fine line to walk. And it's just, and it's, and it's not a question of how bad do you want it? It's just how much can you give without taking away from other areas and people in your life? So it's always a balancing act. Okay. One question I have, and I've talked to like a couple of people, but you're more, I mean, you've been in running for so much longer. And so you probably have a better answer to this, but I do feel like one of the benefits to having like a softer standard and why not have like a softer standard for the men too, because like, it brought so much publicity to the sport and so many little towns wrote articles about the runner in their town that went to the marathon trials. But I know it cost a lot of money because they like put up the all of the athletes and like, why don't they have a, a standard, which is like 237 that those athletes get all expenses paid for, but then have a B standard that if you run this, you have the opportunity to come if you would like to, but you have to get yourself there so that it's not as much of a financial burden, but there can still be like a bigger field. Yeah. You know, that's a great question because I was thinking it would be great if there was like a sub elite marathon, kind of like a Boston, but with that's well known and highly reputable, but that, you know, had tougher standards in order to qualify for. But I like your, I mean, I think it's just, you know, this is for the Olympic trials. So it's why have people running if they don't actually really have a shot finishing in the top? Yeah. But I mean, yeah, even if I could be wrong, but I thought it was even if you, I think if you qualified with the B standard, it used to be, if you qualified with the B standard, but you ended up running and finishing in the top three, you still couldn't make the team because you had to run the A standard in order. So anyways, we're geeking out on this. (laughs) And yeah, because my thought was like with that, 
even someone too like couldn't afford to go but they qualified I'm sure like their local running club would get them there even if like they weren't getting paid like even if whoever was hosting the event like the Atlanta track club wasn't paying for them to get there I don't know it just seemed it was just so cool to have such like a it still wasn't that big of a field, like, you know, it's 500 instead of a hundred. Um, it was cool to see. It fueled so many dreams and just it. And I know the hope is that like, you know, it, the ships will rise with the rising tide. And so it will push people like you and me that much farther. But again, there are restrictions, life constraints and whatnot. So it's, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. So it's still, it's still a goal for you. I'm still evaluating. I think I will see how this next like year goes with kind of my triathlon pursuits and then decide if like I, if it's worth stepping back from that to pursue that goal or depending how that's going, if I want to just keep going all in there. So. So with everything we've talked about, how do you stay motivated or what about running do you love so much that you're willing to wake up at 4 a.m. every day to go do it? And you do it, you run alone too, right? You train alone most of the time. Most of the time, I running like I just like today was a day that I I just have a run and it is like my favorite day on my triathlon (laughs) training schedule. Um, So I'm definitely still like a runner at heart. Um, It just makes me feel so good. And when I see the sunrise, like I, which I'm not doing right now in the winter, but I think it's just, I'm a little bit of an introvert. So like that alone time is, I enjoy because um, my five-year-old only goes to school like one day that I don't work. So I'm with someone um, pretty much all the time and um, other than like three hours in the week. <laughs> and um, so I, <laughs> and my working out time. So I do enjoy the alone time. I do have uh, two gals that I run with just since I've started doing triathlon, like getting our schedules to line up has been a little harder. Um, and I do miss that. Um, so that is something I do miss. Um, those runs are fun to, they fly by, but I think it's, I just feel so much like so much healthier than like when I wasn't running, I appreciate my body just for like what it's capable of and what it can do. And I think I'm still not coming from running background. I was just still amazed. Like, wow, I was able to run 50 miles this week, like, or I can't believe I did that. And I think that just still (laughs) hasn't gotten lost on me. (laughs) And which I hope it doesn't. I hope I don't forget that. And I'm just constantly amazed by other runners and what they're able to do. And and I hope I can just keep running um, as long as possible. It's, and I like that you can just continue to improve and also just come up with so many different ways to challenge yourself. You can try trails. You can try to see how fast you can run a mile. You can try to see how far you can run. Like the possibilities are endless. So I feel like it's one of the most simple sports, but yet you can make it really whatever you want it to be. That's so true. And then it, that, that belief and amazement spiders out into the rest of your world, I feel like, in the other arenas of your life. So your Instagram is margs and marathons. So are you still a huge margarita drinker? Were you a margarita drinker? Yes, I do. I've never been like a huge drinker, I would say, but I used to drink like, you know, fairly consistently. Like my, (laughs) when I lived um, in LA, I moved down there. I didn't know anyone. And 
I finally made like two friends and every Friday we would like about 3.30 get together to have like wine or margarita while our kids played. So it's been something like... I That sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. So it's been something I've used to connect with people. But and yeah, I've just always loved margaritas on the rocks with salt and... <laughs> And I also enjoy wine. Like my husband and I like to go wine tasting when we can. And um, well, you live in California, so yes, it's yeah, I'm right up. There's so many good choices around. But I have found like, well, I got a Whoop, which I know you're using now, and. I, that was eye opening to how it affected my sleep and recovery. Oh, yeah. So I have definitely, yeah, been more like strategic in when I'll have a drink. And I actually didn't drink for probably almost like two months while I was in like really intense triathlon training this year, just because I was kind of like, pushing my body to the absolute max. And so I just had to pull out every single recovery trick I could. But I had the most amazing drink after my win at Indian <laughs> Wells. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, it was a margarita, I'm guessing. It actually wasn't. It was, we went to this restaurant that serves, they're known for their lemon drop. So I went away from my margarita and had a lemon drop and they actually serve it with dry ice in it. And so it like um, steams up. I actually took a video and then I forgot to post on Instagram, but it's really cool. Maybe I'll post it the day the episode comes out so everyone can see it. But it is, it's really cool. And we took my grandma there and she like loved, and now though she goes to all, like every <laughs> restaurant we go to, she asked, do you have dry ice? And we're like, grandma, like it's only that restaurant, like nowhere <laughs> has dry ice. <laughs> <laughs> maybe she's on to something that's going to be yeah. the, the new thing for restaurants yeah. to pull people in everyone needs dry eyes <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've had a lemon drop since college so good job <laughs> oh. I'm gonna have to rediscover it there's my my goal for 2022 yeah. to rediscover lemon drops yeah have one <laughs> We're recording on New Year's Eve. (laughs) That's right. It's New Year's Eve. So I'll have I'll have a lemon drop and I'll let you know how it goes. I don't know if I can find dry ice to see where I can get some hands on that, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Anne, it's been so fun chatting with you. And I hope you have a wonderful New Year's. Thank you. And I can't wait to see what you do in 2022. Well, you too, Whitney. And I just love following your journey. I appreciate your honesty. And I love the space you've made, especially for us mother runners. And it's been so fun chatting with you. Oh, thank you so much. You just made my day. (laughs) It's been really fun chatting with you too. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Anne. And thank you all for listening to The Passionate Runner. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at runnerclick.com slash podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash TPR. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. See you next time. Thank you.